0: read through 15. So if you would stand with me as we read here, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to just read 13 through 15. It says, Wherefore take you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you. We just thank you so much for the day that you have given us to come into your house and to worship you. Father, we pray that you we will be honoring to you this morning. We will give you the glory that you're worthy of. And Father, that you will bless the preaching of your words. And Father, that your word will not fall on deaf ears this morning. We thank you for all you've done. And we ask all this in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Alright, so, spiritual warfare. Just to kind of recap a little bit of, kind of what we first started talking about was spiritual warfare doesn't come upon those who are not of the Spirit. Now, people who are not of God, they go through some tough times, usually because of their rebellion against God or because they're just making uh, foolish decisions which we all know know what it is to make a foolish decision, don't we? We've all been there. We've all done that. But this spiritual warfare is Satan going about seeking whom he can devour, whom he can tear down and he can destroy. And if he can't destroy you personally, he's going to try to make your witness as a believer in Christ useless. He wants to destroy you. And so we gave the examples of Peter, we gave example of Jesus, uh, Job, Elijah. Yes, Elijah. And there are many others. David went through it. There are so many people who went through spiritual warfare where Satan was coming in and he was t- trying to tempt them and to destroy them, to cause them, as he put it in Job, to get them to curse God. And that is what he wants to do. So we are... Uh, talk about. Alright, so as we go through this spiritual warfare, how do we stand? What tools do we have? What has God given us to equip us to be able to stand against this warfare? We also know that because says we are in a spiritual battle, we have the flesh and the spirit that are always at war with inside of us. How do we combat the flesh side of us? How do we combat the Satan's attacks? Well, the first thing that we talked about was the belt of truth. And a little bit of what the belt does is it holds the clothing together, the belt holds the weapons, and it helps the soldier to be ready for a tough, to do tough work. The belt is represented as truth. So the truth is found in God's Word. Truth guides our decision making, truth frees us from the devil's lies, truth sanctifies and purifies, truth is essential for each day. Without the truth, what do we have to believe in? Romans 1 says that, you know, man prefers to believe a lie over the truth. Now, would you rather... It's when we become guilty, convicted, that's when we really start to have some issues, right? Does anybody in here like to be convicted? No one likes to be convicted? How many of you have been convicted? All right we got some people that are going to be honest and say, "I was convicted because I was doing something that I shouldn't have been doing, and God called me on it How did God how does God call you on what you've done wrong It's through the truth it's through his word and that's how we know what truth is is because of his word. The next thing that we talked about was a breastplate of righteousness the breastplate protects the heart and vital organs it was Uh, custom-made to fit each man with metal and rings and could move easily it protected the soldier from arrows knives spears and swords I like the idea of protecting this area of me I played a little bit of basketball and I have you ever had a ball hit you right here have you had anybody ever hit you right here it knocks the air out of you can you imagine being out in a battle and you get hit right here what can you do when you get hit there? You can do nothing but gasp for your air and wait till it comes back. I was uh, out working and I was trying to start. A, I, th- I think I had an edger in my hand and I was I pulled on the cord. You know, I was being tough. There was, some, there was a bunch of kids right here. I guess they were football playing and kids, and I was just you know just trying to you know do my job, do what I was supposed to. And I pulled on it, and the cord caught, and I jerked that weed eater right in, hit myself right there. I wanted to just kind of kneel down and wait for my breath to come back, but I had to suck it up because there's a bunch of kids over here and I couldn't show weakness. I didn't have anything protecting me, so when I got hit, it took the breath out of me. We talked last week about the breastplate and most, the most important vital organ, uh, vital organ that it's protecting is the heart. Because the heart is what pumps our, the life's blood through our entire body. So the breastplate of righteousness And it is not our righteousness. It's God's. Righteousness guards against direct attacks on our heart. Because that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to take your heart and he wants to rip it to pieces. He wants, if your heart's going to pump anything, he wants it to pump corruption to the rest of your body. Remember, he is the father of lies. He is the father of sin. He is the reason sin entered into the world. Now, he didn't make man sin, but he brought that temptation in And sin is like a disease. That sin was placed inside the heart and it just pumps sin throughout our entire bodies. The only thing that can cover that sin is the righteousness of God. Righteousness is something that God gives us and we are not righteous on our own. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. That's what we have on our own. When Jesus has control of our heart, it is protected from attack. The righteousness that we have that protects us is God's. And we've got to have it. We have to have the truth. We have to have righteousness. Apart from them, we cannot hope to defend ourselves against the attacks of Satan. So, that leads us to, going on to, how are we standing? Well, if you're going to be walking across hot sand sharp rocks, stickers. We don't have any stickers in Oklahoma, do we? Nasty little goat head stickers is what we have here. You wanna have a good pair of shoes on, don't you? If you're gonna be able to walk across this tough terrain, you gotta have something on your feet that you can actually walk across it. Has anybody ever seen the movie Crudes? It's a cartoon, animation. Okay, well, we've got kids. We see all of this fun stuff. And we get to see it at least 10 times before it starts to even begin to get old with the kids. So we have some of these movies memorized. And in crudes they're walking across. Here they are, these are a bunch of cavemen. And then we got this one guy who he's kind of an out-of-box thinker. And he's walking around with some uh, type of shoes. Well, they get to these sharp, pointy rocks, and they can't get across them. And so they have to humble themselves to acknowledge that some of the way that this crazy guy's thinking, because he thinks totally different than them, and that means craziness, right? If someone thinks different than us, they're crazy. So they have to acknowledge some of his crazy thinking is actually beneficial. So he gets them all different kinds of shoes so that they can actually walk across all this pointy rock stuff. So we're going to be talking about feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this gives us two things. And the first thing we're going to kind of talk about is how, how we stand, What what kind of a footing that we have? So let's look here. It says the shoes of the gospel of peace. The shoes protected the soldier's feet. The shoes were made of leather. They were nails in the bottom of them. And it was hard to walk backwards. Now, I know some sports, not basketball. But even in basketball, you wanted shoes that wouldn't slide all over the court. If you're slipping and sliding playing basketball, you're not getting anywhere. You'll hurt yourself, actually. Well, the same thing with Baseball baseball has cleats even the sport of golf I guess it's a sport but they have cleats on their feet because they have to swing and it you know and they they have to have a good good footing I know uh, uh, did I say soccer I don't think I did soccer same thing football because they want to have a good footing and in all of these sports what is the idea It's to move forward now in basketball you do a lot of backpedaling but when you're going to take a good hard sprint, you're going to move forward. Football, it, it, is, it is a bad idea to go backwards in football, isn't it? It's not the point of the game. You want to carry the ball forward. you got this strong line of men up here and you want their footing to hold. We've seen what happens when their foot, and especially when it's raining, and we see what happens when their foot slips, especially for the quarterback. If the quarterback's foot slips, what happens? He's either going to get sacked or uh, fumble or... Uh, throw an incomplete pass, whatever it might be. Footing is important. If we can't hold our ground, if we can't support ourselves and stand firm, we're in trouble. God directs our path, God is our foundation in which we stand. God provides our peace in the during, I don't know what I was typing there. He provides our peace. Uh, during spiritual attacks. I don't know about you, but going through spiritual warfare, having Satan come up and tempt me and attack me, it's not exactly what I would call fun. The whole idea of an attack is not fun. When Keisha and I are struggling, if we're having marital issues, do you think this is of God? No. I already told you, Satan, he is, he's that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And would you say that Satan has done a good job of devouring our families across our nation? He's ripping them to pieces. What is the effect of our families being ripped to pieces? Well, for one, the church. The church without families? I mean, that, that's really... If you got a strong family that is God-fearing... And they go to church, you're going to have a good, strong, God-fearing church. But unfortunately, we don't have families that are complete and intact. In fact, in our generation today, we've already talked about it many times, is we don't... Respect isn't being taught anymore. How many kids do you hear that go around saying, Yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am? How many do you hear say it? It's hard to teach a child that. My brother's kids say it left and right. They say it very, very well. I'm like, man, I said, Mitch, you've done a great job training up your kids. He made it look easy. It is not easy to teach a child to always remember to say yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I know that because that's what we're trying to teach Cadence and Silas, and it's hard. Silas is pretty good at it. Cadence, she's stubborn just like people in her family she gets it honest I'll give that to her Romans 5.1 is where we're going to begin here it says therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ so we have peace only through Jesus Christ we have righteousness only because of Jesus Christ we have the truth and who is the truth? it's Jesus John one, what does it say? In I think uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. I don't know if that's the one I want. Uh, no, it's the other one. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's John what 7, 14, 12, somewhere in there. It's in John. Go look. You can type it in. But he's the truth. Is Jesus going to set us wrong? Is he going to say, "All right, I'm going to tell you to do this, and you, it's going to be wrong"? Jesus didn't set his disciples up for failure, did he? He told his disciples what exactly to go and do. They're the ones who messed up on their own, didn't they? Jesus didn't didn't, uh, throw out something to trip them up. We have that idea sometimes. We think, oh, well, Jesus, God God is the one who messed me up. We also sometimes want to say that God tempts us. God doesn't tempt us. The Bible is very clear about that. God doesn't tempt us. He doesn't tempt anybody. But what we do know is that Satan does like to try to tempt us. He does like to cause us to stumble and he likes us to cause us to fall. What, God, what Satan wants to do is he wants to destroy that peace that you have in Jesus Christ. Why do you think he comes about in the spiritual warfare? He wants to take your pleasant little world and flip it upside down just like he did Job. He wants to bring cancer. He wants to bring death. He wants to bring uh, misunderstanding and uh, a lack of communication in. He wants you to disagree with each other in the church so that there's division and so that he can destroy the church. He wants me to say something you disagree with so that you get mad at the preacher. He wants you to read the Bible and he wants you to see exactly what it says and because you don't like it, you reject the Bible. He wants to put people who are poor witnesses in front of you so that here they they say, I'm a believer in Christ and I'm living my life for Satan. That's That's the type of people Satan wants to surround you with. Why do you think it's so important to be around believers? Why do you think it's so important to know the truth so that you know when Satan is attacking you? God has made it so easy for us to know when we're being attacked. But we get so caught up in our world, just kind of like Labor Day. How many people are taking today off because it's a three-day weekend and they want to get to the lake before the weather starts getting cool? How many people look for an opportunity to say, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to put God over here to the side? God is the one who waits for me. I'll get back around to you, God. Don't worry about it. Now, I have nothing against going out and you know, missing church to, to do something that you want to do, providing that there's more to it than just for you. If you're going to skip church, at least have a mission in mind. You're going to be going out and you're going to be witnessing to someone. You're putting yourself in a situation, and I've heard so many people, well, we use it for family time. I am sorry, but if you just take a three-day weekend and that's the only family time that you get, you're not showing anything to your family. The only thing you're showing to your family is that this fun is more important than God. Family time happens every day. When I come home, if I just push my kids off and say, I'm not doing it wait till the weekend we're not gonna I don't exist until the weekend that's not family family is every day it's the way that we live our life every day to our family first thing I need to do every time when I come home is what open up my arms and have my kids run into them that's what I want I want my kids to know I love them yeah I'm gonna be a little tired every now and then and there's gonna be some times where they're bouncing off the walls because they're so cram packed full of energy and I'm going to tell them go away. But I don't. I, I I say go do something. You know, don't be on top of me. I'm going to say something like that. But I'm never going to let them know that I am. I'm too tired to acknowledge their existence until the weekend. I'm sorry. If the weekend is the only time, only family time we have, Satan is doing a good job of destroying our home. James four seven through ten. It says, submit. Now, I want you to recognize i got some of these words highlighted, as you can tell, because I want you to... There's some commands and some uh, what happens. The first verse here, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So there's two things here to get the devil to flee from you. Submit to God and resist Satan. Resist the devil, and he'll flee. Submit to God first. If we do not submit to God... We cannot stand when Satan attacks us we have to first submit to God we have to recognize that God is sovereign he is in control of everything if Satan is attacking us it is because God has allowed Satan to attack us we have to keep that in mind we have to submit to God even when we don't like the circumstances that God has allowed us to be in we have to submit then we have to recognize Satan is attacking me, and we have to resist Satan. We cannot give in to the temptation. We have to submit. We have to resist. And when we do that, Satan realizes it. He already knows he's defeated, but he's trying to convince us that he can defeat us. But we know that through Jesus Christ, Satan is defeated, and we have to remember that. So we submit and we resist. And therefore, Satan will flee. Then, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Now, I really like that because when you when you're in a fight and you're 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 in a, a defending yourself, and then you're fighting back, you get exhausted. Your arms are weak. I mean, can you imagine? Now, this right here is all plastic, pretty much. The the sword has got some wood on it, but this stuff is all light. The armor that the that uh, the Romans used, which a lot of people use, the Roman armor to uh, give this uh, the the illustration of the armor of God. The stuff was heavy. It was it was exhausting. You had to be strong in order to hold it and to carry it and go in about doing what you needed to do. A weak person could not go into battle. That's why it's necessary before you go into, before spiritual warfare hits you, you need to be strong in the Word of God. Otherwise, you're not going to know how to properly use armor. You remember the illustration of David? He didn't have any armor. And Saul said, Hey, Take mine. He puts it on and I remember you get the visual picture that the armor is way too big. Remember, David's a kid. And he's like, I have not proved this armor. This armor doesn't fit me. This armor would hinder me by going out into, the, into uh, facing Goliath. So he chose to go without any armor at all because the armor he knew. But he went out and how? How did David go out? He went out knowing God was going before him. And he's like, if God before me, who's going to be against me? We hear that, we see that in uh, Paul says it. David went out knowing that God was before him, and he was, had complete confidence in his victory because he had complete confidence in who was leading his direct path. And it was God. Little man versus a big man. You would assume that the big man's going to win. Goliath was coated in armor. He was Equipped with all of the right stuff. But there's a little space somewhere right up in here that his helmet wasn't covering very good. David takes that little sling, wears it up, lets it fly. The pebble embeds in his head, drops him down to the ground. And then I always get this picture of this little guy picking up David's sword. Sword is probably the length of David probably weighs about as much as David. And then David cuts his head off. Well, David is doing the one cutting. He's the one grabbing his sword, the sword of Goliath. I'm sorry if I messed up. I was focusing on my one character. Sorry, Keisha. All right, so we draw near to God because God is who we need. After this tough, we want to go back in. We want to go back into God's refuge so that we can gain our strength back. And that's what drawing near to God. He's going to draw near to us. Then it says you need to cleanse your hands. You need to purify your hearts. You double-minded. We can't go in and live the way that we want to live and still be right with God. We have to do it. Guess what? I know this is going to stink here. We've got to do it God's way, not our way. And we can't forget that. We, we have to keep that in mind. We don't want to be double-minded. Oh, well, God's going to fight the battle for me, and then I'm, but I'm going to do it my way that's the way we want to say God I'm gonna God you lead and then I'll attack whenever I see the the open open tack God's like no you do what I do you do how I do how I tell you to do do it my way It says, be afflicted and mourn and weep now I was sitting there when I was reading that. I'm like what in the purpose of it now we're talking about spiritual warfare we're talking about encountering very difficult situations Sadness, anger, hurt. And he's saying, be afflicted. It's going to happen. If you're going out and Satan is attacking you, he's going to afflict you. It's going to hurt. He says, mourn and weep. He says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your uh, joy into heaviness. It's okay. You remember in Ecclesiastes, he says, there's a time for all of this. It is a good process to go through. You're afflicted. You're hurt. Be afflicted. Don't try to cover it up. Don't present yourself as something that you're not. It's okay, especially among other believers. We need to show our weaknesses so that the other believers, their spiritual gifts can come in and bring healing to us. The good Samaritan. What would have, been, what would have happened if this Samaritan had done just exactly the same thing as the priest and the Levite did? The man would have died because of his wounds. We have to acknowledge that we are wounded and we have to take time for that. We have to take time to mourn. We have to take time to weep. You don't always have to have a smile on your face. You don't always have to uh, allow the joy that you have inside of you. Now, did you notice that none of this, your laughter hasn't uh, left? Your joy hasn't left. What it's saying is allow yourself to grieve the way that you need to grieve everything takes a little bit of time don't rush through it because when we rush through things we oftentimes try to get back out into the fight and we're not ready to do it ten humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up again another word that we're being told to do some humble recognize that we're not in control recognize that we're not invincible recognize that we need God to do this in our lives, to heal us and to help us to be strong. And He's the one who's going to lift us up. I was playing basketball one time and I took a charge and it hurt. And I tried to get i, I, uh, I tried to get up. I mean, I, it's not the first time I took a charge. The other player who, I, who hit me reached down and I grabbed his hand and he went to pick me up and I tried to get up and I couldn't get up. It kind of scared me. My body was still in some kind of shock from getting hit and I wasn't. my body wasn't working right. So when I stood up or tried to stand, it, it just wasn't working. My brain was telling me, you can get up. But my body was telling me something's wrong and you can't get up just yet. You gotta wait just a second. Because I was trying to get up before I was ready, the guy kinda drugged me a little bit. And he was like, oh, well, for some reason he ain't getting up, I guess I'll let him go. When we try to get up before we're ready to get up, it, it's, we, can, we can cause more damage than good. Why do you think they tell you, if someone has been hurt in a wreck, don't, don't mess with them because you don't know what's been damaged. Now, sometimes you have to, but just like the, the neck is a very important part. If you get your neck hurt, I mean, uh, or someone tries to force you, it's best to wait for the help for people who know what they're doing. Now, when it comes to it, who knows best? Me or God? God knows it a lot better than I do, don't I? I need to wait on God. I need to humble myself and think, Dan's not the best in the world. Dan's not the smartest in the world. I need to humble myself in the sight of God, and I need to let Him lift me up. We must be prepared to share the gospel. This is the second part. That's how we stand. You stand firm. You stand in that stance like, alright, I'm ready to take the hit. You ever brace yourself? When you see a hit coming, do you brace yourself? I know, I talked it before. I mentioned Brother Jim with his little grandkids. If you're not bracing when them little kids come at you, they're a lot more powerful. Jay, it's like dynamite in little packages, is what they are. You got to brace yourself, or they can hurt you. In fact, they can still hurt you even when you brace yourself. So we have to stand, and we have to face the enemy. This armor is not made to turn your back on the enemy. We resist Satan, but we don't we don't flee from him kind of contradiction. I think uh, a few weeks ago I said something about, you know, we're going to flee from sin. We do need to flee from sin. Basically, that's what I mean. Don't sin. But when we're in a battle, you don't flee. It's like playing chicken. We know that we have that Satan is defeated through Christ and we have Christ inside of us. So if we're playing chicken with Satan, we need to let him be the one who's going to cower because he is defeated. We stand strong. We stand our ground. We use the armor that God has given us. Know how to use your armor. And you know how to use your armor as we're going to continue to get into uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is uh, the Word of the Lord, right? It's the Bible. So that's how we're standing. the first part of the Gospel of Peace. And then we've got to be prepared to share it. Isaiah 52, 7, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him that bring good tidings and that publishes peace. And that brings good tidings of of good that publishes salvation that says unto Zion your God reigns how beautiful are the feet of those who go out and share the good news of God to share the good news of Christ that's a positive thing I mean I'm not a foot fan so whenever it comes to your feet are beautiful if you're going about doing it's not saying the literal feet here he's saying you're going about go about doing what God has called you to do do it share the word Romans 10 15 again it's a very similar so you know Paul probably pulled this from that uh, how how shall they preach except they be sent how uh, as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things another thing that we find out about spiritual warfare is it puts you in a position to where you have an opportunity to share your experiences, as this next verse here says, First Peter thirteen three fourteen through fifteen says, "But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror; neither be troubled, but sanctify or set yourself apart, uh, sanctify the Lord your God." Or, sorry, yes but sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with, fear, with meekness and fear so we're supposed to sanctify ourselves. we sanctify the Lord God in our hearts basically we don't let in our inside of our heart we separate God from the flesh we don't want to take the old and the new and just blend it together to where it's all still there no we want to separate that we want to put God first in our life everything else is secondary God is first then he says to be ready to give an answer in other words you're looking for an opportunity even though you're beat up you're, you've are you gone through this spiritual warfare you've gone through attack if you haven't uh, seen the movie or read the book of uh, Hacksaw Ridge, it, it, it's, it's a great book when it comes to this right here. He uses his faith in God and his determination because he, he enlisted as a, a conscientious objector. Them guys were not smiled upon. but he determined within himself he wasn't going to carry a gun but he was going to he was going to be a medic and his goal was to go out and to help and to save as many people as he could he had no problem with going out and defending the country but he had conviction that he didn't want to do carry a gun and so He was going to be there for those who did. For those who were going into the battle, he wanted to be the person who was going to go up. He was going to pull them out of the heat if they were wounded and needed help. He used that as an opportunity. People gave him a hard time, but once they got into the heat of the battle, they realized that this man, who is a conscientious objector, who is a medic, was braver than a lot of the others. And he went through multiple campaigns where he... uh, Was able to just go in and and save so many people. After everybody had already left, they retreated. He stayed and he went to find those who needed help. And so he used that as an opportunity to share his story, to share the reason that he, the, the hope that he had. And he did it with meekness and fear. He gave the glory over to God. And he wasn't a free old Baptist. He wasn't even a Baptist. He wasn't a similar God. He was a uh, uh, seven-day seven day Adventist. Yeah. Denominations don't matter. What matters is who you serve. Do we serve the risen Savior Jesus? Is our hope in Jesus Christ? Have we accepted Jesus in as our Savior? Because if, if we have not done that, we don't have a reason of hope. We go about living our life however we want to, but we don't have a reason of hope. My hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope that is then that at some point in time all of this that I know is going to be done away with and I'm going to be living forever with my, with my savior. That's a hope I have. Because I don't know you look around and this is a more of a broken world than it is a fixed one. And I don't and I want to live with what Jesus has promised that my life through him what it holds we see the Old Testament we see so many of the scriptures come in they lived for a hope that yet that hadn't come yet they put their faith in God because of the promise that God gave to them they didn't see it happen but yet they put their hope in that what do you put your hope in this morning we sit there and think, man, you know what, I'm so beaten up. And Dan, you just said we got time to go mourning. Even in the midst of mourning, even in the midst of the being afflicted and uh, all of the hardship that we take on, we never cease to be a Christian. We never cease the opportunity for this right here, to share the reason of our hope. We don't have to do it with a bouncy attitude and with a smile on our face all the time. With joy that's bubbling over. Because sometimes we don't feel that way because of what we've been going through. How many times have you seen someone who's on death's bed turn around and cheer up the people who are in complete and perfect health? Because their hope is not in this life. Their hope is in the life to come in Christ Jesus. Where is your hope this morning?